I'm Aria Schwartz, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. Round one of the playoffs are in the books. Four teams have secured their spot and are preparing for the semifinals. There's so much to discuss, and we got some very special guests. So let's dive right in. like our show please consider joining our patreon community patreon.com forward slash windsider that's patreon.com forward slash windsider for less than a cup of coffee a month you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the w and don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content over on windsider.com that's windsider.com if you're looking for a fun new way to enjoy the w join windsider on playback for our w watch parties Use the link playback.tv forward slash Winsider. That's playback.tv forward slash Winsider. Welcome back to the Winsider show. While Rachel is off getting married and taking some much deserved rest and break, I thought it would be fun to bring on a crew of people from the Winsider team to recap the first round of the playoffs and discuss these semifinal matchups. First up, we have Matt Cohen. Matt's been covering the Mystics all season, so obviously we're going to talk Mystics Liberty and look forward to the Liberty versus the Sun. First things first, Matt, how you doing uh, just a few days removed from the end of the season for the Washington Mystics? What's up? Uh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm frustrated, but I'm okay. That's that's fair. That's totally fair. Um, So if you could, real briefly, uh, give us a little quick recap of the Mystics Liberty series from your perspective. Yeah, um, the Mystics showed what they have shown all season, which is inconsistency. Game one, they had a phenomenal first quarter. I think it was 29 points. The offense looked like a modern offense. There was movement. There was uh, both off-ball and on-ball movement. The ball was moving around. Players were scoring. It looked great. And when the Liberty made their adjustments... The Mystics did not, and it, the offense stalled out. It was kind of back to what we're used to, and the Liberty just kept incrementally building their lead, and the Liberty beat them pretty good by the end of game one. Game two was a wild back-and-forth affair. The Mystics gave themselves, I guess as you can say, as good of a chance as they could have. The, the Liberty didn't shoot well from three. Their offense would look a little bit stop and start at times, but when they started to lean more on JJ as the game went on, the Mystics found it difficult to to respond and score. And by the end of it in OT, the Mystics were down once again. Yeah. I mean, like when the Mystics, like, let's put it as I'm, I'm Mystics pooped the bed. I'm not going to use the, the foul language, uh, but yeah, no Mystics pooped the bed. And I say that because, you know, first of all, obviously, look, if you win the second half of the game, very clearly they did, right? By what, eight, nine, 10, 11 points, 12 points, scored 21 in the third versus 13 and 20 versus 17 in the fourth. And it was reminiscent of almost now, obviously, if you're a Liberty fan, you could sit here and say it's fate because Liberty on their path to greatness to finally getting that first championship in franchise history. Um, you would make that argument in that Connecticut Sun game where Connecticut, who has yet to beat New York this season so far, almost had that one game and just completely screwed the pooch uh, at the end. It was a similar feel for me for Washington. It felt like this was the game. I know, you know, I picked Washington to win. 
this game and push it to three. I thought this was the series that kind of was going unnoticed. And then I think right before the playoffs starts, people started to kind of get into it. Um, but everything you said is totally accurate. I think the downfall, the mystics throughout the whole season. Um, and it's always funny, right? Because we get into the playoffs and we think the potential of teams, right? Like that's where I'm at. And you come from a more realistic approach of, okay, but this is what they did all season. We know who this team is. Um, so I think, but that's always, that's the beauty of the playoffs because sometimes you have those teams, it all clicks, it all hits right. And they're able to, to kind of put the pedal to the metal. Whereas the mystics to quote the late, great Denny green, they are who we thought they were. Um, they definitely proved that. So before we talk about New York in the semifinal round, I'm curious for you, like what's the biggest, what if about this season for the mystics? I think a lot of people are going to look to what if they were fully healthy. And I think there's an argument to be made that that might have been their biggest area of what if for them, because I mean, we've been talking about so many times, Elena has been out, Shakira has been out, Ariel's been, I mean, they've all sort of taken that rotation around except for pretty Sykes of key contributing players who have been out. And so what if they were all healthy together and gelled and ready to roll? I think the series looks much different and I think the season's going to look much different. But I'm going to focus more on Eric, Tebow, and the offensive execution. What if there was a more modern-looking offense for the Mystics? What if you have an offense of players who can move, an offense of players who are passing the ball and are, are, are making plays off-ball on help side and whatever the case is to allow for the offense to get going? players who can look and see the second and third read. That to me is where I'm looking at the what if. What if this offense could have maximized itself in a more modern style like we see New York doing and Vegas doing to maximize what they can do and then take some pressure off of themselves defensively. So to me, it's less health and more what if the offense looked like a more modern offense. Yeah, and and I think that's the interesting aspect because first of all, I agree with you on this um, because I think we hadn't... we we saw enough depth and vet presence on this team that it wasn't like, I'm fine if Delhi misses part of the season. Cause you have Maisha and Hawkins and like, yes, they're not Delhi, but at least they're serviceable fillers for a short period of time. Um, and then you look at the depth throughout this whole team with, you know, Shatori, um, you know, well, obviously Tolliver was injured, whatever, and and probably was more of a coach than anything else. But um, you you just look at this team and you think to yourself, on, on the other side, when you talk about that like modern style of basketball, it's almost I'm left. The question I'm left with is less of a what if, more of a who's to blame. Like, am I here blaming the roster, the players, or am I blaming the coach? the coaching staff. And the reason I'm asking that is not a, Oh, someone has to be responsible and fired on this offense, blah, blah. No, what I'm asking is in the sense of you have vets, you have champions. This was a, you know, a Frankenstein version of the 2019 champions to some degree. And they haven't won a playoff game since noted. Uh, but like, for me, I'm sitting there, I'm going, these players know how to win. These players like, they're very aware of what they're doing wrong. 
I think that's the most frustrating part is we've seen what happens when they actually play that modern style of basketball. They can have that success. Um, and we just didn't see it happening this season. Uh, what's the biggest question for you this offseason moving forward for the Mystics? Well, I think it comes down to that is, is the Mystics have to look internally and decide it may not be, it may not come down to who is to blame and therefore fired, but who is to blame and how do we fix it? Mm -hmm. Because if you just bring in another score, which I think they still need another score on this team, someone who can, who, who is more of an isolation score, who can go and get their own shot and can create their own shot and create their own offense. But if you bring someone into the fold and it's Eric's, system that's that that's the broken piece here it's not going to matter then everything's mm -hmm. just going to get sucked into that black hole so the mystics have to really look internally and decide is this really eric's play calling rotations whatever it might be or is eric actually calling things that are that are supposed to work but the players are not seeing it rejecting it whatever the case is and then maybe it's time then you have to actually then change your personnel Mm -hmm. um, and so I think to me, that's what, the, that, that's the biggest question mark for the mystics is who is to blame. And then you need to go and fix it, whether it's adding different player personnel or getting someone else to make the play calls instead of Eric. All right, let's, let's move on to the teams that are still playing. New York Liberty have moved on to the semifinals after, uh, Connecticut sun also punched their ticket last night against Minnesota in Minnesota should be noted. The only series to go to three games, um, and it was, it was, it was fun, even though it was a blowout. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about it. Like for you, when you look at these two teams matching up from a New York perspective, what are going to be the key things that you are going to be focused in on when you're watching this series, what are going to be signs of concern and what are going to be signs of success? So for the same reason that I said, the mystics lost the series to New York which is with the inconsistency that they showed, that's also where I'm looking for it on the Liberty side. I need to see more consistency. The Liberty let the Mystics hang around a lot of times in these two games, more than they probably should have, especially with Shakira Austin out. And sort of finding JJ later in game two was really kind of that spark that they needed. But they also shot, I think it was their worst percentage from three all season. You can't do that against Connecticut. New York finished first in the league in three-point shooting in the regular season, but Connecticut finished first defensively in three-point shooting against. And so I think to me, that's one of the key areas that I'm looking for. Is Sandy running on offense that allows Slew and Stewie at all to be able to move the ball around to get good looks for, for Stewie, to get good looks for Sabrina, to get their outside shooting going. And if they're clicking on offense, they're clicking because their three-point shooting is clicking. And that's a big area I'm looking for. They also need to limit turnovers. I think sometimes they can get a little sloppy and get a little bit carried away in what they're trying to do, and they need to simplify. And so cutting the turnovers and really working the ball around to get those high-quality looks from three is going to be key. They got a bunch of those against the Mystics, but they weren't knocking them down. Against Connecticut, you don't have room to not hit those. You need to show up and hit your three. So for me, those are the two areas I'm really looking for for the, or for the Liberty to succeed. Yeah, I mean, I think also, like, it. maybe I'm coming from an overly simplistic point of view. I mean, I think, for me, it's two things. And it's been, excuse me, the two things all season. Um, paint presence and three-point shooting. Because when the New York Liberty are going off from three, and obviously there's, a, like, we can get more detailed and advanced into, like, 
why they are or why they're not. But when the Liberty are on fire from three, they are in that same realm of the Vegas Aces last year, where they are just like, holy crap, you are next level too good. How does a team even keep up? And now Connecticut, I think, has struggled from three in the sense of they've added pieces to expand their shooting potential since oh, compared to years past during the Kurt Miller era. Um, can those players play consistently and score consistently? We saw Connecticut just light it up from three in game one against Minnesota. In game two, they disappeared from three. And then in game three, uh, Ty Harris really stepped up. And yes, Duana Bonner helped out, but Ty Harris was the key element. So for me, you know, it, it's the Liberty on defense finding ways to not allow you know, uh, a Connecticut Sun team to score efficiently from the three-point line because that's going to be the way that New York kind of distanced themselves. Um, and then also knowing Alyssa Thomas is unstoppable going downhill, but you have an elite rim protector, you have elite paint presence when she wants to play in the paint in John Quill Jones. How, like those are kind of the give and takes that I'm looking for um, it's going to be really, really interesting. I'm looking at it right now. The matchup predictor, 71% according to ESPN Analytics. 71.4, New York is going to win. 28.6, that Connecticut's going to win. I would keep that a little bit closer. I agree that I think New York is pretty much favored, but I also think that this is the playoffs. It's going to slow down at times. Slowing down into half-court basketball is just going to be beneficial for Connecticut. Um, and I think... A lot of it comes down to also, and I'll talk about this in a segment coming up uh, with Mitchell, but kind of what Connecticut can do against the guard play and the three-point shooting of New York. Because what I saw from a very good defensive Washington team was their ability to make the shots that are typically you know, not the easiest a little bit harder. And if you can do that, you can throw off Sabrina. You can do a lot of stuff. Is there anything who I guess is the key player? If you had to pick one specific player for the Liberty, who's your key player? My key player is Kayla Thornton. I think KT is going to be an X factor and I'll, I'll have an article coming up on her soon enough, but look, we know who the starters are for the Liberty. We know what they're able to do. We know the capacity for what they're able, how they're able to play. And the Liberty, if I'm not mistaken, swept the season series against yep. the Sun this yep. season. One, so, time, one time it went to overtime in that game that the Sun just like screwed the pooch and they had like a four point lead with like 10 seconds left. Oh, right, 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 right. I think the margin of victory was by was like 15 points or something like that. So the Liberty starters, especially who played the majority of those games for sure, know what Stephanie White is trying to do. And we'll see how, how she adjusts in the playoffs. But for me, I'm looking at depth and I'm looking at the two bench roles. And you just talked about Ty Harris and her role in coming off the bench for Connecticut. For me, I'm looking at Kayla Thornton. She's been such a critical player. Her and Benaya Jelani especially have been really, really critical to the secondary scoring and the secondary complementary roles that they're playing on this New York team. And so for me, can KT, can she defend? Who is she defending? Is she going to be able to handle getting caught in switches and whatnot. And what is she going to be able to offer defensively? Offensively, she'll contribute some, but defensively is really where she can help continue to elevate that Liberty defense. That's been really, really good to help counterpunch some of what Connecticut's defense is going to do. Yeah, I agree. And especially because Connecticut likes to get physical. Um, it's going to be very intriguing and interesting to kind of see 
how much bench depth is used um, and how it's used. Because as we all know, in the playoffs, coaches tend to not play their benches as deep as much. Um, But that said, if you have the depth that you feel comfortable, confident and safe to use, uh, that is a huge, huge advantage. Okay, cool. It's time for for the fun part. Predict the series. Um, I'm going to be like the most annoying person ever. I'm so here. I have a Jackal and Hyde type mind, right? So one of my minds is like, all right, Aria, you already have predicted and talked about how New York and Vegas aren't going to be in the finals. Are you going to die on that hill as you're known for doing? And I say yes, Sun in five. Um, but the more logical, you know, not Stephen A. Aria of me um, says Liberty in four. I'm curious your take. I was going to go Liberty in four, but now that you said it, I'm going to say Liberty in five. I'm going to say that Connecticut gets the extra game and it has to go back to, to Brooklyn and New York's going to have to win a close one at home with Connecticut having some momentum. Um, and so I'll say Liberty in five. Love it. I appreciate you as always excited for your KT article. Excited to see you on playback. Um, and we'll be chatting some more soon. Thank you. That sounds good. Thanks. For our next segment, I'm very excited to welcome Ace to the show. Ace has been on the wings beat for the playoffs. In other words, she's had to deal with my never-ending wings talk for I don't know how long. Uh, but let's dive right in and talk, talk wings versus dream. Ace, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm People can't see this, but I need to know, is that wallpaper or real stone behind you? No, this is like totally wallpaper. Um, yeah, no, definitely like illegal per my lease wallpaper. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll delete this part from the episode. No, I'm joking. Um, so f- talk to me real quick recap for me. Um, the two game sweep, the wings dealt the Atlanta dream. Well, I think the first game sort of dealt the death blow to Atlanta. The fact that they let go a 20 point lead going into the half and still managed to lose that game to me was super indicative of just the type of season that Atlanta had Um, which was just very filled with like, you know, expectations seem to be on the rise throughout the entire season, but then eventually they just kind of like petered out and it, you know, ended up materializing into what we saw in these two games where it was sort of like they had so much promise and yet the only person that really showed up in the series was Ryan Howard, in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, I think Dallas on the other end was just dominant. Um, I think once they sort of like smelled blood in the water, they were just able to close it out. Um, and they also just had a better bench, more depth on their end of things as well. Um, and then they also have Arige and Satu sort of like going back and forth throughout games. Although in the second game, I know it was more like Tierra McCowan. That was like the star of the show. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was just Atlanta more so just not living up to like what they could be and like their full potential. But I don't think that's anything to like shake our heads at. Like they did have a pretty solid season, but there are a lot of questions still lingering with them. Yeah. I mean, they made, look, they made the playoffs. They took that first step forward um, and very easily, easily, you know, you could talk about what happened last season where a similar season of high expectations or or maybe not even high expectations, but kind of that petering out that you talked about of playing much better early in the season, midway through the season, then just kind of dropping out. Um, For me, part of me is like, it's not the worst thing in the world for Atlanta in a long-term perspective. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think for at least in my perspective going into this series, if Atlanta was to win it, it was going to come down to could they find a way to really push the tempo and make the fact that they are so undersized in the paint not a factor. Um, and I love the way you put it when Dallas smelled blood, they just they attacked. Yes. And and that's truly what it was. Cause like honestly, thinking back, it almost felt like that game one was a overtime game. I know it wasn't. Yeah. And it ended up like final score wasn't as close as it kind of seemed. Um, but yeah, like it, it felt like how do you come back after that? Um, but I'm curious for you just to talk on Atlanta for a little bit before we talk about the wings moving on um, and fulfilling the destiny of 10 to 10 K or 10 to one K. Um, what's the biggest, what if for Atlanta of these playoffs? Um, I'm, I'm curious cause I have something on my mind, but I'm curious for you. Um, I think just simply what if they would have played Haley Jones <laughs> more often, that seems to be everybody's what if just because like the numbers showed, like the lineup was like super efficient on offense when she was in there. So I guess the what if for me would definitely be like, what if we had seen her more often, um, in there with them. But like, in my opinion, I don't think it would have mattered too much just because as you already touched on, like Dallas's bigs are so dominant. I don't think that her inclusion in the offense would have been enough to offset how good they are at really muddying anything that any offense is throwing at them. Um, but yeah, I would say that's my, what, uh, what if is if Haley Jones actually played like any meaningful minutes, I think she got like three minutes in game two. I don't even know if she played in game one. I don't, she didn't, she didn't, <laughs> not She's at all. A DMP. So, three minutes over the course of two games, especially in game two, where you're sort of desperate, you're on the road. You want to try to at least steal one and to not throw her in at all, even though your offense runs pretty well with her in it a little questionable. Um, so that would be mine. I fully support that. I think I am a very, I'm on the record as not a Haley Jones hater, just Haley Jones, I think needs to be in Atlanta. The one place that can, you know, player develop and really grow her and get her to the next level. And while I, I disagreed with the masses saying, why isn't she in game one, game one, game one? Cause for me, it's like, look, what you had working, put you up by 20. And then it didn't work. And then it was kind of evened out or whatever. So like, for me, it's like, no, I'm not worried about game one. It's game two where you're trailing the whole game. Basically it's in dominating fashion. So like, try anything. Your season's on the line at that point. Like I, I understand coaches like to go with the vets. I understand coaches like to, you know, stick with the game plan. This is what we prepared for. But at a certain point when there's 20 minutes left and you're down 20 or whatever, like you gotta try something new. What's the old phrase, like trying the same thing over and over and expecting a different result is lunacy, idiocy, Um, Thank you. Yeah. For yeah. making what I said into <laughs> real words. Uh, okay. So like if you're damn pat over, what's kind of your, your goal, what are you trying to add to this team in the off season? Oh my gosh. That's a great question. I feel like, I don't know, because like you said, like it's already been like two seasons of sort of like the expectations being kind of high to end the season off just because of how well they played during the regular season, especially this year more so. You have Ryan Howard, 
who you have to do everything to kind of like surround with more talent. I think just depth. And I think that goes for a lot of um, teams right now. They need to really do something to boost that their bench. Um, because I think over that series, maybe her and like Alicia Gray were the only players to really score consistently in double digits. That's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. You cannot have that, especially against the team like Dallas, that anyone coming off their bench can score at least 10, 12, 14 on you easily, easily. Um, so yeah, I think bench, but I think that goes for many, many teams in, in the WNBA. Um, even teams that are still in the postseason at this point in time. Yeah, no, I agree. I very much agree. I was going to say, I realized I didn't even say what, what's my biggest, what if my biggest, what if is what if AD Durr or Ari McDonald goes off? Because I agree. I think it's that, that bench aspect. Well, I think the glaring question is you need one more large sized body to pair with a Cheyenne Parker to compete because we know large bigs cause trouble for New York, cause trouble for Vegas, can cause and, and obviously Dallas. So I think for me, it's like that's the that's kind of the elephant in the room, but the depth is the issue that they need to answer. They need successful teams have players coming off the bench in a Marine Johannes, in a uh Ty Harris, in a multitude of people on Dallas and in an Alicia Clark from Vegas. So I think like it very much, I think that is a, a very, very good call. Um, okay. So enough talk about the losers. Let's talk about the winners. Um, <laughs> I always wanted to say that. Uh, let, let's talk Dallas. So Dallas moves on to the semifinals versus the aces. Um, honestly, I am so freaking excited for this series. Same. I think it's going to be so much more fun than the and obviously like Connecticut's not a fun team to watch. So like, I totally get that. Um, I know I'm not like, <laughs> they're the type of team that like at point for five minutes at a certain point, it's just going to be like a slow, like yeah. drawn out, like drip of a game. Like, whereas Vegas and Dallas is just going to be fireworks and high octane offense and, players talking smack and players getting in each other's faces. I am so excited. What are kind of the key matchups? What are things like, what do you have your eyes on in this? So the first thing that came to mind once Dallas advanced was, Oh my God, like this is the perfect type of team to take on Vegas because the things that really muddy them up are rebounds and also turnovers Um, those are two things that Dallas, when they're super locked in, are really good at grabbing and super good at forcing of teams. Um, the specific matchup that I'm really looking forward to is seeing who is going to get like the main assignment of guarding Asia Wilson, because I know she just gets routinely double and triple teamed at this point. And that seems to sort of be like teams philosophy on defense. Like they don't care who else goes off as long as they contain her. Um, but I'm curious to see how that also takes away from perimeter defense on Vegas because they have sharpshooters and Jackie Young, obviously the best three-point shooter in the league this season. You have Kelsey Plum who can can go off at any point in time. Um, And so they just need to be careful of who they're putting on Asia. So I think that's going to end up being Tierra McCowan's assignment um, for this series. That's what I'm really excited for because I think that she does a really good job of staying on her feet against Asia 
she had really good games against Vegas also on offense during the regular season, even though Dallas ended up losing most of those games. Um, they were still super fun. And I think that, yeah, Tierra being healthy now and being able to sort of keep up to a degree with Asia, like nobody can really 100% keep up with Asia Wilson because she's Asia Wilson. But I think that she's going to do an, a pretty solid job defending her. So that's the matchup I'm really excited for, at least on defense. Um, on offense, I don't know. I'm just super excited to see like who goes off. Like I, I really don't know at all. <laughs> but it's yeah, so fun. Um, I just want to point out the matchup predictor on ESPN, according to ESPN Analytics, eighty four point three percent Vegas, fifteen point seven percent Dallas wow. Wings. Uh, I disagree with that a little bit, but whatever. That's like a no, little I th- lopsided. I yeah. think the the interesting aspect is. Not only do you have McCowan, but Asia is freak top tier athletic. And so you also have Natasha Howard for that. And that's why I it almost feels like as this season has gone on, and, and I think going into the season, my biggest concern, I love the Swiss Army knife of this team, but my biggest concern is finding scoring from the bench. Now we've slowly gotten those questions answered. Um, but I, I love the way that they can match up with Vegas because, you know, the, the bad part of Tierra McCowan on Asia is Asia can run around, exhaust or stretch out, whatever. And that's where you switch on to Natasha Howard, who almost feels like she should be, you know, glue and whatever the phrase is, rubber and glue and your rubber, I'm glue, whatever. Like yeah. she's just going to like, there's just like elements of this team that is just so perfect for this matchup that I'm so excited for it. Um, and I think I completely agree. I mean, there was periods of time during that Atlanta dream Dallas wings series where it just felt like every other play Dallas was getting a steal and moving in transition and even their bigs moving in transition. Well, and it's just, and to have a, like, this is just, this is why there's playoffs. This yeah. is, I am so excited for this matchup. Um, I'm kind of curious for you from a Dallas wings perspective. Yeah. What are going to be some necessities in your mind for them to pull off this victory? You pointed out uh, the regular season series wings won one game, 80 to 78. Uh, the other games, Aces won handedly 91-104. They scored 104 twice in the last two games. Um, hanging hanging that on them after they beat them once, uh, which is a fun little tidbit. But yeah, sorry, yeah. long-windedly. What do you think is going to be the key for Dallas to pull off a victory? They are going to have to pray that their three-point shooting stays very, very efficient. Um, I think Vegas, like I mentioned, like that's going to be their key to scoring against such a tall team like the wings, they're going to have to rely a lot on their perimeter shooting. And so I think that if they're unable to contain that, which they might not be able to, I think they're going to have to hope (laughs) they're keeping pace with Vegas shooting as well, especially from three point range. Um, I think that off the top of my head, I know Arike is pretty good of a three-point shooter, but she's also just one of those shooters where it's like any given night, she can just make it from anywhere on the floor. And then the next night it'll be like, what happened? Um, so yeah, that would be my concern. Um, because I, I don't have any issues or any concerns really with them being able to score in the paint. 
my only concern would be just keeping pace with them from three-point shooting. And that's pretty much it. Like, if they could get that on point, I think that they have a, at least a solid chance of competing with and contending with the aces. Yeah, I, I, something that I was thinking about, if I was, like, an elite sports analyst, I would be sitting here like, the Dallas Wings need to never at any point during the series have less, like less than two made or like two less three pointers made than Vegas has, you know, like something like that. Yeah. Because I, I completely agree with you. It's good. Like Dallas is going to eat in the paint. It's going to be a battle, but no offense. Like Stokes ain't doing it. And so like, that's not going to stop Tier McCowan, Clonnie Brown and Tasha Howard. Uh, Asia Wilson's going to have to be an elite defender, which we know she is but she's going to have to pick up some slack. And then it's going to come down to like, where's Kelsey Plum on the defensive end? What's Chelsea Gray doing? Cause like the combo of Chelsea Gray and Jackie Young is great, but is Dallas going to be able to play enough of selfless ball with Arike, um that they can pinpoint because let's be honest, there's two weaknesses on this defense. It's Kelsey Plum. It's Kia Stokes. Can they pinpoint those players and attack them and try and use those advantages? but also not just get drowned in the quicksand that is the Las Vegas Aces offense, yeah. defense, and everything in between. I'm really excited also for the coaching matchup because I think what we're going to see is like game one is going to be a feeler, like dipping your toes in because I don't remember if, if it was you and I who were chatting about this in Slack or in playback or whatever, but kind of like, We've seen some shifts where we're not seeing as much of uh, Kalani, Tierra, and Satu, and like all of their size together. Was that intentional to try and phase that out to then kind of teams forget about it? And then boom, in the playoffs, we bring that back in. Was that injuries? Was that something else? What's Becky going to do to respond to the fact that the paint presence is going to be a weakness for them? I just think there's so much, so many opportunities. Um, but to end this, I'll tell you my prediction. You tell me your prediction. And then we say peace. Um, I have the wings in four, but but I'm I understand saying that I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I fully, <laughs> I fully think that could because I could very well see like one injury. Obviously, I don't want that, but one injury to Vegas could derail this whole series into a and it's gonna be a physical series. So if I'm betting on the odds of like somebody getting hurt and Candace Parker not coming back, I'm going wings in four. If I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid and, and thinking too detailed, I'm going wings in five. I got to, you know, hey, I got to ride the bet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who do you got and, and how many? Um, so I, I have the opposite. I have the aces in five. Um, it's not going to be an easy series for them as the last series against Chicago was. Um, I think that they will be tested. I think that the fact that they won so like handily to Chicago, like where they just were not really challenged <laughs> too much at all, I think is going to be a bit of a, not even a learning curve. Cause obviously they've been here before, but just more of like a, the first game I could definitely see them potentially dropping just because they are maybe not in that same mindset Playoff as mindset. Dallas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where Dallas, you know, I mean, I guess Dallas also, didn't really have last to game, But that first, like, I'm sorry. The first game no, was a struggle. Yeah, like, Chicago was not a playoff <laughs> series. Like, let's be yeah. real. And I'm not trying to throw shade. Like, they gave it their all, but. Yeah, no. But um, I do think that the Aces, I, I just can't 
get over the mental hump of counting them out, just considering like all the amazing things that they did this regular season. Um, I do think Dallas is the exact type of team that will give them trouble. And so that's why I think it'll go to five, but I, I definitely see the aces finishing up with the, with the series win and going on to the finals. Love it. Appreciate you as always excited to do some playbacks, excited to read your upcoming article. Uh, Keep your eyes to the website and your ears to the podcast. We got some cool things cooking. Appreciate you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Hey, listeners. Let me tell you about the standard in sports apparel caps, New Era. Not only do they scream style, but they also show off your love for your favorite team. These caps are top-notch, made with high-quality materials since 1920. That's over 100 years perfecting your hat-wearing experience. We all have a memory of our favorite athlete or icon rocking a New Era cap. And now they've got the WNBA cover as well. With New Era caps, you'll be the envy of every fan out there. Shop the official headwear of the WNBA and get 15% off when you go to neweracap.com forward slash winsider23 and use the code winsider23 at checkout. That's 15% off your order using the promo code winsider23. And we're back. I'm excited to welcome to the show Mitchell. Mitchell has been on the Lynx beat for this season and many seasons before that, from the 0-6 start to one game from the semifinals. Mitchell, let's talk Lynx versus the Sun. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I mean, it's playoff basketball. I'm excited. I'm happy. Best time of the year. Best time of the year. Um, although not if you are a Minnesota Lynx fan currently. <laughs> Um, why don't you recap the only series that went to three games briefly for, uh, our listeners? Yeah. As you mentioned, um, the only series to go three games to not end in a sweep. Um, it was kind of a, a back and forth, back and forth series. I mean, game one, it was a blowout. Connecticut did just about everything against Minnesota. Minnesota did not look good in game one. Um, in game two, they, they had an impressive comeback and they bounced back. They, they kind of did an exact flip of, of everything that took place in game one. And they came away with a seven point win in game two. Um, and then that set up for a, a winner take all game three, um, on, on Wednesday night at target center. And, um, you know, I, I admit that I thought it was going to be a lot closer than what it was. Um, but Connecticut just, they were controlling everything and the links could not get, um, you know, anything going on either end of the, either end of the floor. Um, they had no answer for Alyssa Thomas, Duana Bonner. Um, the, the story of this series too has been who can contribute outside of, um, you know, Alyssa Thomas and Duana Bonner on the side of Connecticut. And then Kale McBride and Nafisa Collier, um, on Minnesota side, who, who can step up outside of them? Um, whoever, whichever team has had that has come out on top in this series. Um, and in game three, that that was kind of the difference maker, too. And Ty Harris stepped up for 18 points off the bench. But, um, yeah, Minnesota just really couldn't get anything going. Um, and, and Connecticut kind of took the crowd out of it right away and um, pulled off a, a, a win. But it was a, it was a fun series. Um, you know, I kind of thought I predicted at the beginning of the series that Minnesota would win, win a game. So I'm not terribly surprised of the outcome. But um, I, you know, I... I I'm surprised at, at kind of how Minnesota adjusted and, and how they ended up looking in this series. Yeah, it was, I, I'm not going to lie. I did not expect Minnesota. I, I thought I could see it. I didn't pick them to win a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I viewed it more so as I, honestly, like I think Connecticut needs to kind of had to look itself in the mirror after that game two loss and say mm-hmm. like, 
hey, are we going to be a team that's going to contend for a championship? Or are we going to, again, kind of poop the bed, for lack of a better term, um, and and almost not waste, but almost waste uh, a really, really good season? Um, so for me, that's kind of the the perspective that I had on it. But you got to give props to, to Minnesota for pulling off that victory in game two. Um, I mean, a team that by most advanced metrics is a lottery team. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's kind of been the underdog personality, whatever has kind of been the, the mantra of this team. Um, it was a fun season. We're going to have to do an episode. I I'm going to come on your show. We're just going to have to talk. I'm so against this whole Owen six start and they got out of it and ball. It's like, it was the same team. Like you can't like have a negative aspect or like talk about it in a negative way that they were Owen six and like, use that as like a jumping off point that they got better. It's like, yeah, you got better than horrible. Good, good, for whatever. It's a whole rant for a different time. I get, I, you tempted me. I'll have you on my show. There we go. I was, that's all I was doing. I was just baiting you to, to invite me on. Um, so what, what do you think, you know, talking about Minnesota, what's kind of the biggest, what if, uh, for Minnesota in this series? Honestly, I, I would say, you know, kind of looking at game three, cause that's, that's something that most recently happened, but not only what if they could have, you know, controlled Connecticut just a little bit, maybe taken one of Dewan Bonner or Alyssa Thomas other game that's easier said than done. But on the side of Minnesota, um, I would just say kind of what if they had Lindsay Allen, um, that that's the biggest thing for me and how that changes this series, how, how her control of the offense, her initiating the offense, how that sets everything up, frees everybody else out. It spreads the floor a little bit. Um, you could see in game three, they they were doing a lot of, I mean, Nafisa Collier was playing outstanding, so I understand why. But every time they went down the, the floor, they would, you know, waste half the, the shot clock and then just kind of give it to Fee and let her operate, you know, iso ball. Um, so that, that kind of, you know, ran its course. And when you have a player like, like, to, uh, um, Lindsay Allen kind of initiating the offense that that opens things up for Kayla McBride. So she doesn't have to be that initiator and that opens things up for everybody else on the team. It just spreads the floor more, gives them more flow, gives them more organization. Um, and I think they really miss that. And then the other thing for Minnesota too, is what if, you know, Kayla McBride had a you know game like she had in game two, um, you know, that definitely changes game three and it makes it a heck of a lot closer in the end. Um, so I would say that that those are probably two things um, you could probably even relate that to the entire series, um, you know, and and maybe throw in another thing of what if, you know, Minnesota got a little bit more contribution from their bench or they got more contributions from from somewhere else. Um, maybe the Lynx rookies could have played a little bit better. Um, so, I mean, there's there's a few things and you can kind of go down the line. But um, I mean, when a team loses, the, it's easier to do, you know, talk about what if than than if they did win. Well, that's why we don't talk about what if for uh, Connecticut <laughs> Sun, right? Uh, no, true. but I, I mean, the, the thing I'm looking at that, you know, some people are like, Arya, she's a rookie, give her, like, let her be, blah, blah, blah. Like, the big what if I'm looking at is Diamond Miller. Um, you know, regular season averaging just over 12 points in the postseason three games, five. Uh, rebounds from three and a half to one. Assists, similar steals, similar blocks, blah, blah, blah. Field goal percentage down 14%. Three-point percentage down 8%. Free throw percentage down 13%. So, like, for me, I think 
you know, I've been, uh, some fans might say a little bit harsh on Diamond Miller's season. Um, but I think when I look at a difference maker for this team, who is going to be, like you said, that other aspect of scoring for this team? Um, cause well, yesterday was literally like fee and nobody else. It mm-hmm. took till garbage time for anybody else on the links to get into double digit scoring. Um, but I look at diamond Miller and obviously this is a learning moment, a learning season for her. This team was not going to compete for a championship. So get what you could get out of the season. Um, and I think this needs to be a jump off point, but my, what if is what if diamond Miller played more so like a regular season, diamond Miller versus, what we saw in these playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, she did. She was kind of, you know, I mean, she was very out of control. We've seen that throughout the year, but she was out of control. She just looked a little overwhelmed yeah. um, in the playoffs. And, and I, you know, Cheryl Reeve even said this after, uh, I believe it was after the game three loss that, you know, when kind of reflecting on the season and the rookies, uh, she was asked that question, you know, she's, she kind of hinted at, you know, maybe diamond wasn't ready to be fully thrown into the starting lineup, but that's what they wanted out of this season. They wanted to make her comfortable with that and kind of force her into that role and, you know, kind of develop her as much as possible. And you're going to go through those learning curves when, when that's the case. But I, I think, especially, you know, when it, when it came to the playoffs, Dork you has talked about, you know, kind of the shock of being in the playoffs and starting in the playoffs. Um, so I think that that was felt with, with diamond as well. And you could definitely tell. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I'm going to flip this on its head a little bit, kind of, you know, what's your question, your biggest question for Minnesota this off season, I'm going to propose something to you. Um, I think it's the biggest question is what, I mean, in a dwindled free agency class, can they attract a top talent? Um, that's my biggest question because we have now seen fee catapult herself into MVP category, we know Tiff Mitchell's there for at least a little bit longer. K-Max there for a little bit longer. You have these two rookies coming in. Can you add one more star power? That's my biggest question this offseason. What's yours? I I would say that that's, that's probably the biggest question. I would you know pair that with what are they going to do at point guard because they have to do something. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I think they, to answer your question, I, I do think that they could attract, um, you know, a big name you know, or bigger name star that's out there um, just for almost the fact of, I don't want to put it solely on, you know, what we saw in the playoffs, but I think that, you know, that opened some eyes in the playoffs when, when the Lynx did beat Connecticut, um, you know, around the league of people saying, okay, maybe this team is, you know, they, they do have something going there. And, you know, you do get, you know, a point card, a talented point card. Let's say I'm, you know, just because a lot of people have, have been talking about it. Speculate Natasha away, Cloud. speculate. Let's let's say like <laughs> Natasha Cloud. I'm, I'm not reporting that there's any, you know, mutual interest or anything, but let's just say that she ends up on this Lynx roster. You know, that that takes them to another step. And, you know, they, they obviously need to get healthy. They need to um, focus a little bit on the paint or in the paint in the post too. Um, but, you know, they, they're a... a player or two away from being a talent, very talented team and a contending team. Um, so I, I would, I would say that that's the biggest question for me is what, you know, what are they? Yes. What are they going to do in free agency? But what also are they going to do in free agency or in the draft or whatever it may be with the point guard position? I'm going to agree with that one. Okay. So Connecticut moves on to the semifinals versus the Liberty. Um, Connecticut has yet to beat the Liberty this season. They've been every other team in the league. I'm curious for you, what are, what what matchups 
do you have your eyes on for this? What are kind of the key players that you're going to be judging how the teams are doing based on those players? I'm really intrigued to see how, um, you know, John Cole Jones and Alyssa Thomas kind of battle each other. I think that, you know, just seeing what Alyssa Thomas was able to do against the Lynx, she, everything runs through her in that offense. You know, they, they run an inside out offense, kind of like what, um, you know, Minnesota did when Sylvia Fowles was there. Um, so that, that's why she's able to distribute. That's why they have success from deep is she's able to either drive into the paint or drive and kick it out and open things up for everybody else. I mean, I'm interested to see how, how, you know, JJ is able to potentially stop that, halt that to some extent. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, people are going to talk about, you know, Brianna Stewart and Dewana Bonner and how, what they're able to do on, on both sides, but I'm really intrigued to see how the, you know, the guard positions perform for each team. Because that was the difference in the series with Connecticut and Minnesota. Um, whichever guard unit stepped up won the game. And obviously New York has a little bit more talent in in that area. And, you know, Connecticut's gonna have to really, you know, Natish Heideman and um, you know, even Ty Harris coming off the bench, um, Tiffany Hayes, they're all gonna have to really step up um to, you know, kind of counter what Sabrina Inescu and um, you know, uh, Slute are are doing on the side of of New York. So I'm I'm really intrigued with those two battles. Um and and I mean Steph White said after um, uh, you know, after the series win in the first round that, you know, New York's very balanced. They're very talented. They they're so spread out that, you know, it's gonna take whole team effort to to stop them. And that's not, as you mentioned, that's not something they were able to do during the season. Well that's for me um, I, I agree with the things you're saying because I think they're all good points. For me, I'm looking at okay, this Connecticut Sun team is an elite defensive team, mm-hmm. right? We can trust that they're going to do a fairly good job. New York, a uh, high scoring offensive team. Yes, they scored in the 80s three times in their four games they played in the 90s once, but it took them to get to overtime to get into the 90s. For me, it's very much so can the scoring of Connecticut keep up. And I think when I look at Connecticut and the changes they made this offseason, a lot of bringing in Becca Allen, uh, Ty Harris, um, some of these other players, like this team was adjusted, you know, Tip Hayes, to be able to score in more of a variety of ways than just feeding Alyssa Thomas um, or hoping, you know, Natisha Heidemann can go off from three. So mm-hmm. I like the fact that they have more depth. My question is purely, are they going to be able to produce enough offense, right? Are they going to be able to attack, you know, the guard play defensively from New York, which is not the most stellar. Um, and if they can, this is going to be a long matchup for New York because Connecticut's going to get physical. Connecticut is is going to attack the paint. I'm very, very intrigued to see JJ uh, holding down the paint against Alyssa Thomas because you can't stop Alyssa Thomas once she gets going downhill. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is if you have go-go gadget arms like JJ, you can keep your body away so you're not fouling, but get a hand in there to disrupt a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, or disrupt so the passing lane too. Disrupt the passing lane too. That's going to be... So big, so important. And also JJ's ability to stay with smaller, more mobile players is going to play such a big role, such a big role in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I I think very much so that the two stats I'm gonna be looking at um is gonna be 
three point percentage and points in the paint. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do agree with like the the three point percentage because you know what, looking back at the first round for Connecticut, you know I the reason that and I I think that the series with New York is going to be very similar to the one in Minnesota where we're either going to see really close games or we're going to see blowouts. Mm-hmm. And the reason I I say that is because and it could be you know either way blowout. The reason I say that is because when Connecticut is not connecting from deep, they're a, I I think a very average team. I mean, they're a good team, yeah, but they're they're not as good as they are when they are hitting from deep. Um, just because that opens up the paint, um, that opens up so much for that offense, and they're just so hard to stop. But you know, when when Minnesota, even in Game Three, at some points, when Minnesota held Connecticut, you know, in check from deep it was a close game. They, you know, kept it within, um, you know, reaching distance and, and it ended up being a good game in, in Connecticut. Like I said, they, they kind of go back down a notch. Um, so I'm, I am very intrigued with, with that stat, um, as well. And, and just seeing what, what Connecticut is able to do, especially because you, you, you talked about it with, you know, keeping up scoring with, with New York. Um, that's a heck of a way to do it is to be able to, to kind of attack the floor from, from anywhere. So I'm, I'm I'm definitely looking at that for sure. All right. Here's the fun part. Now, being the nice host that I am, <laughs> I'll go first. I've already made this decision because we already, uh, in an earlier segment of this episode, I spoke with Matt. Um, I think, and this is me being, you know, hey, I said, I'll, I'll repeat what I said before because you didn't get to hear it. But uh, I fully believe in my original take from the beginning of the season that Vegas and New York will not be meeting in the finals. So I got the sun in five, but if I'm kind of, if I'm jackal hiding it and speaking from my, uh, the other side of my brain that thinks the Liberty win, I think the Liberty win in four, uh, where, where, where's your mind at for this? I I'm thinking Liberty in four, uh, personally, just cause I, I think that Connecticut is just a little too streaky. Um, and I think that that'll hurt them in, in this series, just, just because New York can be pretty steady and they've, they've shown that ability, um, as of late, um, I think Connecticut's lack of depth compared to New York will, will play a factor. Um, you know, I, I could easily say New York and five, New York and four, but I, I would lean New York and four. I, I, I do think that they're going to be closer games. Um, a few of them, I do think we're going to, we are going to see a, a few blowouts, um, in, in that series. And by that, I mean, you know, maybe 20 points or something like that, similar to what Connecticut did to Minnesota, but, um, I'll say Connecticut or uh, New York and four. Well, when Mitchell talks, y'all better listen. <laughs> Appreciate you as always. Uh, I know you got some cool work in the pipeline, excited for that and excited to spend like three hours on your podcast. Just, uh, you know, talking links, having some beers, you know, having some summit, uh, and, uh, you know, talking about it, chatting it up. Appreciate yeah, you as we'll, always. We'll wait. Uh, there'll be like a, uh, I don't know, a 14 part podcast coming yeah. out here sometime soon. <laughs> Two hours every week for the next 14 weeks. Let's go. <laughs> we'll be ready all off season. We'll be good yeah. all off season. Uh, <laughs> Have a good one. I appreciate it. For our last segment of this special episode, Let's welcome Blake to the show. Blake has been on the sky beat for these playoffs. Uh, it was a, it was a quick run for you. But, uh, let's talk about the sky versus the aces. Blake, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm glad to know that you did not bail on this podcast, even though we hung out for many hours last night on playback. 
Um, quickly recap for me the Sky and the Aces series. Yes, yeah, so the Sky we're vying for the final playoff spot, as we know, uh, came down to the last week for the team. They were the one team who, of compared to them and the Sparks, I think we could both agree that the Sky wanted to be in the playoffs because they don't even own their own draft pick. Um, so they got that eight seed quickly were overmatched by being paired with the number one seed Um, game one was a little tough for Chicago. I mean, I think it was pretty clear from the start that they were just overmatched. Uh, Of course they have Kalia Copper, Marina Mabry, Courtney Williams. But when you're going up against a team with the Asia Wilson's Kelsey plums, Jackie young, Chelsea grays of the world, like, there's not much that they're going to do. Um, Cobb got into foul trouble in game one, and there wasn't a lot that they could do. Like the aces were playing stout defense. There wasn't much they can get going. And then the same uh, carried over a bit into game two. Uh, Chicago actually did make a run in the fourth quarter where they got the game within uh, single digits. But after that, the aces just, Quickly turned that around, and it was a quick uh, 2-0 sweep in Las Vegas for the Aces. Yeah, I think that was, I mean, I talked about, Rachel and I were chatting about this on a past episode, like a few, like a week ago or whatever, but basically how like the best case, in it, like Chicago almost wasn't playing for themselves, and that sounds ridiculous to say, but like the best case scenario would be that Chicago would somehow pull off a victory and force a game three, lose game three, but that might exhaust Vegas for the future rounds. It was almost like Chicago was the sacrificial lamb for the rest of the league. Um, It did not go that way. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I think, look, it's a rarity to see an eight seed dethrone the defending champs, number one seed. Um, It was a tall task. It was like, first of all, something I want to throw out there, while everyone loves to throw shade at the James Wade moves and things and blah, blah, blah. Like Izzy Harrison on this team makes this team very different. Um, Robin parks or no, it was not Robin parks. Um, shooting blanking on her name. Not, not, uh, Ruthie, right? No, like, not Ruthie. I'm blank. Oh, shoot. Player came in last year as a quote unquote rookie. He's a longtime vet. Just completely. Oh, Rebecca Gardner. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that injury also like, this team faced so much adversity, so much change that I think there's a lot to be proud of for this team to win. Um, but I also think that this is a fun, exciting team to watch play basketball. They're just not going to match up well against the Las Vegas Aces. For you, what's the biggest what if for Chicago in this series? Yeah, so uh, I mean, one that initially sticks out, I kind of mentioned already was Ka getting into that quick foul trouble in game one. Uh, I believe she ended with 15 points in game one. Uh, I mean, she had a great game, but she wasn't really able to get cooking. Like we thought she would need to, for them to steal a game in Las Vegas. Um, Another one, and this might even be a bigger one to me is Marina Mabry went two for nine from three in the two games of the series. So she wasn't really able to find it from deep. Um, she mentioned in the Chicago exit interviews that 
one thing she's realized over this season is just how much the physicality of the game has grown. And that's one thing that she wants to work on um, in the off season. So maybe it was a thing like she came in and is going up against a Las Vegas defense that is focusing on her and Ka and not giving them easy looks. And she just wasn't really able to get it going. So if those two were able to score a bit more in game one specifically, it, maybe they could have ended up stealing a game. Yeah, I, I got to agree with that. I mean, look, they, they have, I was saying this before the series started, like it would come down to, can they just have someone play nuclear and just go off? Um, they have the players to possibly do that, but percentage wise, uh, it's just a little tough. Like you can't expect Courtney Williams for three games in a row. You can't expect Marina um, to be doing that at an elite level and playing elite defense and things like there's, there's a, it was a, it was a tall, tall task, um, for them to pull off that victory. So I guess for you, uh, it would have been the biggest question mark, Kalia Copper. Can you resign her? Can you bring her back? That's off the table. We know they did. What's the biggest question for Chicago this off season? You know, I mean, we already got the news that Emre won't be returning as head coach. GM. Wait, can I just say that, yeah. that, that statement was worded in a way that's like he could be coming back as GM or he could be coming back as head coach. So the idea, or I I guess inkling that I've got, I I mean, there's been talk pretty much this whole season after Wade has left and maybe even when James Wade was still there, when are they going to split up the head coach and GM role? I'm not sure if Emre really wanted to absorb both, uh, From my idea, it seems like he wants to focus more on the coaching side of things. But now that we know that he won't be retained for the head coach and or GM roles, that's the biggest question mark uh, for me. I I mean, I'm sure we're going to see a GM be hired there before a head coach. So seeing where that lands, uh, but also on the court um, with the extension from Ka, like that ties her to what uh, Mabry is signed through. So I think that's huge for Chicago. Like after giving up all that draft capital to bring Marina Mabry in, um, at least you don't have Ka walking out of the door a year later. But that said, they do have uh, some UFAs. And the big one for me is Courtney Williams. She signed a one-year deal and is going to be on the market this offseason. I thought she had a career season in Chicago. And... Also, a quick shout out to her during the playoffs. She had 16 rebounds in two games, which is crazy from the guard spot. Like, I don't know if this is a crazy statement to make, but I don't think there's any argument that she's the best rebounding guard in the league. So if Chicago is able able to bring her back, Alana Smith is also a free agent. So if they're able to re-sign her and see what else they do on the market, but I think it's going to be another year of a different looking team in Chicago. Yeah, I, I got to have to agree with that. The, the question needs to be the GM, the head coach. Um, and honestly, like, I'm just going to throw this out there. Chicago has been the smallest staff team in the league for many years. That needs to change. They need to have a bigger PR department. Uh, they need to have more on the coaching staff, more surrounding this team and stop cutting corners to have, you know, one person doing five different roles like that. That just doesn't work. Um, I, I also do think that like some of those players, even though they had good years, you're going to have to let them walk 
because you can't do the same players back and expect to be a better team. Oh, like the problem with this team wasn't that they weren't together long enough. It's that the roster had fatal flaws and you need to address those to make this team better moving on. So uh, hopefully, you know, the GM and the coach see eye to eye on that one. I'm excited to see kind of who they bring in into both of those positions. But on to the team, the teams that won. Las Vegas Aces move on to the semifinals to play the Dallas Wings, one of the more highly anticipated playoff matchups, I would say. Um, Hint, hint, wink, wink. No idea why. Um, But looking at this matchup from the Las Vegas Aces perspective, now that you have been absorbed by the Aces, kind of what are the things that you're, when you're watching these two teams play in games one, two, three, four, and possibly five, um, what are kind of the things that you're looking at and are thinking to yourself, that's a signal of something good for Vegas? Yeah, so I think what's interesting about, and specifically going into game one with this series, is how Vegas is managing the rest that they now have. Uh, there was that period during the regular season where it seemed like no team was playing more games than the Aces and the Liberty, I guess. Like, But specifically, Las Vegas went through a crazy stretch of having all these games, and they needed some rest. And now uh, Becky Hammond even mentioned after the Chicago series, like she almost wishes she had a little bit less time going in because it's going to be tricky for her to manage. Um, she obviously wants to give her team some time off, but going into preparing for the series. Um, I think having, if it's a full week or however many days off they have is just a trickier situation to manage. Um, I don't have any doubt that Becky and the rest of the staff will do it well, but I think that's the one thing you can look at with Las Vegas going into the series and kind of wonder about. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I didn't even think about the the overrest and how that could hurt. I've just been thinking about it. it's going to be hilarious when uh, Candace Parker suits up for game one and everyone's like, what? How, how can we? No, I'm joking. Um, I mean, she might never know. Uh, yeah, no, I think I look at this and, and for me, it's how is Vegas like it's going to come down to Vegas's shooting because Vegas has all of the skills in the right places. There's been times where Kelsey Plum has struggled throughout the season. Uh, Chelsea Gray has been amazing, best shooting uh, three-point shooter in the league so far. Not so far. Throughout the season, in my opinion, and in many other people's opinion, is Jackie Young. So it's kind of just a really interesting, intriguing uh, matchup. I think this one could go the distance. What for you is going to be, I guess, who's the key player on Vegas for Vegas to pull off a victory and get one step closer uh, to a repeat? You know, I, I'm going to go a little outside the box with this one. Uh, like, I, I think the initial, I mean, obviously, Asia Wilson, I think Jackie Young will be a big key to this series as well. Um, but I'm going to give this one to new sixth player of the year, Alicia Clark. I think just having her come off the bench. And I mean, when the season started, she was coming off the bench for Candace Parker. And now she's coming off for Kia Stokes and Jackie when she needs. And Alicia can guard one through five and also space the floor and shoot the heck out of the ball when she, when she needs to. So I think if Clark is clicking and hitting shots and 
really providing that versatility off the bench when Vegas has someone that gets into foul trouble or needs a break. I think that'll really be the key to unlocking and getting through this series quickly and as easily as possible for them. I really like that take. I was going to go Kelsey Plum, um, mostly because I think if you're like, in my mind, as I kind of envision this game, this video game of life being played out, uh, I kind of think, okay, Jackie Young, really good defender, right? Like can handle her own. Uh, Chelsea Gray can handle her own also. To me, it, it very much so comes down to, is Kelsey Plum hitting it on one side and can she hold her own defensively? Um, because if you have all three of those players, all three of those guards scoring, you're in serious trouble for Dallas because that's not even talking about Asia Wilson. Um, and can Dallas, can their scoring keep up uh, with them? But also like, I don't know, it, it's it's this tug of war where I keep going like, and this is what Vegas does, right? Are you more focused on their defense or their offense? You know, can Dallas score enough to keep up with Vegas or can their defense slow Vegas down enough to keep up with them? And it's going to be a really, really interesting matchup. I'm curious for you um, where it's prediction time, right? Like, (laughs) let's dive into it. Um, I have, and I've I've already said this on the episode before, but I'll repeat it for you because you weren't there. I have the wings in four. Um, now that's wait, wait, I know that's me drinking the Kool-Aid. I think in a realistic, like whatever approach I can convince myself of wings in four, but if I'm, if I'm being realistic, I'm saying wings in five. Um, I do think the wings pull off the victory and I think going to five is only beneficial for them because of their depth, because of, um, this is what I said to, to Ace earlier, like it just takes one injury and this Vegas team is a much different situation. Whereas one injury to Dallas isn't the same death blow. Um, and so for me, it's just kind of like when we get to that point, if we get to game five, it's going to be tough. Um, and to your point, game one, I am now even more convincing myself of like, not only do they have so much rest, not only did they have the easier playoff series where Dallas maybe is already in that playoff mindset gameplay wise, and Vegas is kind of needs to get there only because they just demolished Chicago. But uh, sorry, long-winded. Who do you have and how many? Well, I was not expecting you to say that, first and foremost. <laughs> you, you didn't think I was going wings? Wow. wow. <laughs> well, I, I will say I have been following your uh, wings championship future bet. So I'm not, I'm not totally floored, but I still am a little surprised. Um, but I would say I'm going to have to go Vegas and four. Um, I mean, I think they're going to have a more difficult time than Chicago, but I just don't see any way that this team gets stopped right now. I've heard throughout this week, honestly, with everything going on, like Alicia Clark winning six player Asia announcing her new book the sit in TP show that there's like a lot going on in the locker room behind the scenes off the court. I don't buy into that. I think that those are all good things. And like the vibes with this team right now are super high. I think given the rest, given the depth concerns, like, like you mentioned, if an injury does happen, that is certainly a concern, but I just don't see a way that, this team goes out there and 
doesn't get to the finals, especially when Asia Wilson is playing the way the way she is. Like after the Chicago series, I believe it was Ka and Emre who were asked like what could they have done differently to stop Asia Wilson? And they were kind of just like, I mean, she's, she's a good player. Like, like we don't know. There's no, you don't know how to go out and stop Asia Wilson, which as good as Dallas is and in their first round series with Atlanta, like they're scoring, they're playing at a quick pace, which is why I think they might get one from Vegas, but I just don't see Vegas uh, losing this series. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll answer it for uh, Chicago. It's a different front court roster. <laughs> it's, ha- it's having Kalani Brown, Tierra McCowan, Satu Sabli, and Natasha Howard. Um, I see what you did there. Yeah, right. It, just, just, it all comes back to my own prediction. Well, I appreciate you uh, for taking the time out of your busy day for chatting WNBA playoffs. Excited to see you back on the playback. Hopefully have you on a pod again. Uh, and to read your written content over at winsider.com. Appreciate you. Uh, and we'll make sure fans to throw Blake's Twitter handle in the show description. Have a good one. Thank you for having me. 